Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Audit Podcast. Today, we have Tom McLeod on the show. Tom is the Chief Risk Officer and Chief Audit Officer at Melbourne Business School and all around just super interesting guy. One of the main things that we talk about is this WhatsApp group that Tom has been the admin of for a few months now. And so there's just two or three sentences on the WhatsApp group. Let me quickly read it to describe it. Inspired greatly and with all due credit to the Malaysian Internal Audit WhatsApp group, I have set up an informal group to share thoughts, links, ideas, and meanderings on the future of internal audit. And then there's some rules, and the very last line says, now the experiment begins. I believe this was, I don't know, three or four months ago, the group started. There are now 443 participants as of this recording, and so I would say it's been a successful experiment. Most of the folks are based... um, near i'll just say the australian time zone and so i'm in the group i'll wake up in the morning and i'll have like 30 messages in this whatsapp group where people are discussing various um, audit techniques or how would you audit this or i'm dealing with this problem what should i do etc it is super super interesting it's one of the primary reasons i wanted to have tom on is to give it further exposure i believe it gets capped at 500 and so um Hopefully we can get this up to 500 and we can get another group going. So we'll include links to how to get access to that group in the show notes. We also talk about the gap between internal audit and the IIA. Maybe a better way to put it is not necessarily the gap, but how the IIA can future proof itself. So Tom has some very interesting thoughts that I have not heard shared relative to the IIA's role within the internal audit profession. And then, Tom tells like really great stories throughout. He shared it in the WhatsApp group prior to the recording, but in our pre-recording call, he shared this story with me also. And I said, we, yeah, we're, you get, you definitely have to tell that story. Um, it might be the best story that we've had on the show. It's towards the end, highly recommended to give it a little bit of a buildup. This Tom was at a conference. He was sitting on a panel and the equivalent of like the Tom Brokaw of Australian media was the one running this panel and everyone was getting softball questions. And then this media member asked Tom this question and uh, well, just you'll have to listen to it to hear the question and the answer, but it made, it seriously made an impact on me and how I look at internal audit and as myself. So Tom, thank you a ton for sharing that story. Here we go. 
All right, Tom, if you could grab every auditor in the world by the shoulders and shake them and say, will you please just do this one thing, what would that thing be? Yeah, it's a really good question. The one thing that I would do, and it crosses over every industry, every jurisdiction, every culture, is to get that auditor before they start doing their work with the on their review, and indeed, before they start doing their audit plan, or indeed just regularly, sit down with management over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and have a chat to them. Have a chat to them, ask them what's actually worrying them. Have a chat to them and flag to them, whether it's a week out, a month out, or ideally three to six months out, what you're going to be looking at in an audit. You'll be surprised how often um, that one engagement changes the, well, firstly, it changes the dynamics of the audit away from combative to collaborative. Yeah. It changes it away from a gotcha to transparent, but it also allows an environment where there is a sharing of ideas and it sets up the opportunity for future cups of coffee and cups of tea. Um, when you're going through the issues, you're identifying the issues, when you're writing the report and God forbid in the event of there being fraud, to be able to call it out and call it out early. Yeah. So if I could grab every single auditor in the world, and put them all before me and shake them, I would say, communicate, communicate, communicate. And when you think you've communicated enough, communicate again. There you go. Um, what, what does that outreach look like? Like uh, you're the auditor, you're sending an email or a Teams message or something to uh, management. Is it, hey, let's just like get coffee, jump on a Zoom call uh, or tea or whatever it is. And uh, more or less, like, let's just kind of hang out and have a conversation. Is that more of the, yeah, feel, look, the it, vibe? It, yeah, it, it is. Um, it can be a bit confrontational when um, the head of audit, especially in a large organisation, writes you a note and says, can I have a coffee with you? you know, yeah. I've had people say to me, I waited for three days in great terror as to what, <laughs> and I've walked up and wanted to speak cricket to, or football to them. Right. And they're, they're, they're visibly shaking or nervous. Um, the, the way I actually do it is actually off the back of something else, which is I, I'm a great believer in sharing best practice in the organisation and best practice can come from anywhere internally, but especially externally. Now, if I can share with you a really interesting story that happened to me about 20 years ago, I was working at, at Australia's second largest telecommunications company at the, at the time. And this particular report, I can't remember what it was. I'd love to know what it was, but this particular report came across my desk uh, from an auditor general somewhere in the world. And I looked down and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And I was working back late this particular night and I decided to send it to about 30 people. And it was still in the era of read receipts. You know, we all had read receipts on our emails. And over the next day or so, I tracked how it went. And I can still see over the next day, um, you know, out of the 30 people, 20 read it and never heard anything more. About five of them deleted it without reading. If you remember how you used to get read receipts, it says uh, yeah, Trent deleted without reading. And my right. heart sank. Oh my God, I made a fool of myself. So I'm now down to 25 out of the, the five out of the 30. And then I, um, three of them wrote back, thanks for this. One wrote back to me and said, wow, this is really interesting. I, I, this is really helpful. And the last person wrote back to me, and or the last of the 30, not necessarily the last, wrote back to me and said, how did you know this was an issue in my team? And I wrote to them and said, I didn't. I don't know that it's an issue in, in your team. I just thought it was interesting. I thought I'd share with you. And they said, can we have a coffee tomorrow morning? And it was always, for me, this um, journey of, uh, uh, of engagement at, at many different points. So the, the engagement, just sending a, can I have a coffee, sometimes, sometimes falls flat. Um, yeah. But to say, you know, build up this rapport 
over time. And so sometimes people will say to me, how do you get the time to read all the stuff? And sometimes I say, well, I've only just skimmed it, but I know that's going to be relevant to you. And other times I'll only send it to two or three people mm -hmm. specifically. So it's that communication, that engagement, that stakeholder awareness um, and that availability to speak to the stakeholder. Zoom and, and Teams have been wonderful in terms of being able to you know, uh, reduce the transaction cost of that interaction. But there's nothing really like sitting down for a cup of tea or coffee with someone across the table and talking small talk um, about whatever it may be, University of Alabama yeah. um, <laughs> or, or something, something of that nature where you can actually physically show it to me. And especially if you do on site, um, I think it's all, always very beneficial. The person will say, you got five minutes? I want to show you something in the warehouse. And all of a sudden, you've done half your audit in five minutes. So yeah. it's a journey, but communicate, communicate, communicate is what I call out. Yeah, and I think especially for folks that are either hybrid or in the office, um, to be able to go like, "Hey, you just want to go like kill an hour?" You know, like let's just go, let's just go kill an hour and uh, and kind of shoot the breeze. Yeah, and it's a you know doing that and being able to have those conversations, it may not pay off straight away. I remember having a conversation with a person who was setting up an IT implementation and they were really reluctant against the idea of having a steering committee. Um, and I said to them, I've never done an audit where there's been a successful IT implementation without a steer code. And the person said, oh, I don't think I need it. And we were saying, yeah, you probably do. And finally, we had this conversation over a cup of tea. And um, I said to him, look, if you don't do it now, probably in about 18 months, when mm -hmm. things go off the rails, that's mm -hmm. when I'm going to have to be critical. Management, the senior managers are going to be critical. And so they brought, we, you know, we had that opportunity. Now, I could have easily shot, shot the ducks in 18 months' time. But having that five minutes at the start really changed, nudged their, their, their thinking. And ultimately, all this is about improving the control environment. I'm, I'm not a great fan. Of the, you know, back to the grabbing the auditor that's sitting in front of me, I'm not actually a great fan of doing audits for the audit's sake, you're doing them to improve the control environment mm -hmm. of the organization. And there are a thousand different ways to do that. And one of them is over a cup of tea. Well, you were talking about read receipts uh, on emails. I also know that uh, for those that are on WhatsApp, you could see who has read your messages there. And I, Tom, I hope you're appreciating this segue because I'm pulling it. Uh, I'm pretty, pulling it from pretty far back right now. Um but one of the things uh, that you and I discussed and that I think is really, I mean, you're a great storyteller, if nothing else, but one reason I wanted to have you on was to spread the message basically about this WhatsApp group um, that you um, own, I guess, maybe as a way to put it. And yeah, so admin. Yeah. admin. And so two things I was uh, was hoping to get out of that. One, talk about the, the WhatsApp group um, and how people can join it. And then we'll add those details in the show notes as well. And then I think it was maybe two weeks ago, you told this fantastic story in the WhatsApp group about this time that you're at a conference and there, you're on a panel. And I think you know the backstory or, or the rest of it. Yeah. Right so I'll, I'll let you take it from there. But what's the WhatsApp group? What's its origination? How can folks join? And um, <laughs> the story, as we'll call it. Yeah, look, um, I, I've got to give credit to uh, a, a random uh, link that I saw on or random post that I saw on LinkedIn um, from someone in Malaysia. And I, the reason why I can't give the person's name is I don't actually recall who it was. Um, and they said, oh, look, our WhatsApp group is going so well, we've had to set up a second WhatsApp group. Mm. Um, and I, I, I was like, why would you have a WhatsApp group? You know, WhatsApp group surely is after have, have you, you know, 
schools and sport sporting groups and things of that nature. So I thought, look, I'm going to join it. Uh, and so I wrote to the person, do you mind if someone outside of Malaysia joins? And the person wrote back to me. There was a lady who wrote back to me and said, yep, that's fine. Um, please join here. And all of a sudden I saw a really interesting window into how um, the discussion outside the boundaries of formal conferences and formal uh, professional education. And the, the, this Malaysian group was probably 40% around how do I become a, a certified internal auditor? Yeah. 20% around... Um, uh, then uh, more precisely, you know, what job opportunities exist in and around the Malaysian region. And then the rest were, has anyone helped, had done this or that or the like. And so I sat back and thought, well, I'm going to give full credit to this Malaysian WhatsApp group and I'm going to set up one of my own. I called it the Future of Internal Audit. And in hindsight, it's probably a little bit narrowing name, funnily enough, because the conversation has been wide. And I put up the link and, as you say, you pop it into the show notes. It, it, it's... um. And it's been fascinating. It's been up now for about three or four months. And it's a really fascinating window into what actually the uh, the global community thinks of, about uh, the prevailing issues at the time. Um, there have been a whole variety of, uh, of debates have been going on. Our most recent one was around how do you track actions in audit and management actions and the different views on that. Others have asked for specific help around crypto. One that really caught my eye a couple of months ago was there was this um, motor car dealership. Someone was keen to audit motor car dealerships in the Middle East. And I, I was certain, I watched it, and I was certain, I'm deliberately hands-off as the admin of, of, the, of the group. I was, uh, I was certain that no one was going to write back to it. And all of a sudden, five people wrote yeah. back, and they're from five different countries. One was this person was in Brunei, I think it was, and then there's someone wrote back from, no, sorry, it was in, um, it was in uh, UAE. Someone wrote back from Brunei. Someone wrote back from Saudi Arabia. Someone wrote back from uh, Israel. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, my God, this is this is actually what needs to be. Yeah. And so. It, it, the more that it's gone on, the more I've only ever had to caution two uh, people. One who tried to sell Bitcoin on it, who I blocked the person straight away. Um, and the other one was just, uh, I can't remember what it was, but I remember writing, a, let's you know, calm down a little bit on, on that. Um, it's this extraordinary window, absolute extraordinary window into the world of internal audit that I suspect that the professional organisations, and I say this with respect, not being disparaging to the IAA is that I'm not sure that they can properly capture that. Mm -hmm. the, the conversations that are being had in this WhatsApp group are better than any I've been at an IAA conference for the last 20 years. Nice. Um, and um, there was a gentleman a couple of days ago that asked about uh, the, now I, I will freely admit I was spectacularly ignorant to this. The Internal Audit Act of Ghana of 2003. I saw that. Um, and I've, uh, it's fair to say that never came across my desk. Yeah, all right. Yet that generated a whole conversation. I wrote to the person off to the side, and now I'm putting him in touch with a leading Australian public sector auditor and mm -hmm. said, go and speak to this guy. This is the yeah. guy you've got to go and speak to. So um, I, I think that this the, the concept of what I'd call micro um, groups of interest uh, uh, are real, uh, probably a, a a major threat actually to these professional organizations going forward because it's this is only as good as the conversation that goes on it may fizzle out over time it may get bigger um but this is really powerful so i'd recommend an, uh, anyone whether it's my group the malaysian group or what what else or even just set up one yourself yeah is um 
just get four, you know, there is a limit of 500 people you can have on a WhatsApp group. And it's always weird to think that you're writing to 500 people. Yeah. Um, I think I'm sitting at about 400 at the moment on the, on the group. Um, but there, it does generate this conversation and I'm learning. I thought I was, um, you know, past learning about aspects of internal audit. I'm sitting there sometimes just looking down and going, yep, that's pretty good. That's, that's <laughs> why I set it up. So yeah. in that instance, but you do tell it, um, you did mention about a story that I did put up um, and it was in response to someone asking about a line that they saw at work. You know, they're being asked to do something that they're a little bit uncomfortable with. And originally I was going to be, um, I wouldn't say dismissive, but I was going to just write back a short note. And I'm not sure why I had the time. I think I was actually sitting at my son's uh, swimming lesson and I decided I was going to write a, a pretty comprehensive response. And so if I may, share with your listeners a story that happened to me probably about 12 or 13 years ago. And it's, um, it, it was one of those defining moments, um, I must say, in the course of my career, and I definitely didn't think it was going to be so. It was the Institute of Internal Auditors, what's called the South, uh, South Pacific Conference, the SOPAC Conference um, here in, in Australia. It was in Sydney at the, what was called uh, near Darling Harbour, just in the centre of Sydney at their old convention centre before they knocked it down as is the want and they built up a, a new one. And I was sitting on a panel and um, the, the, the host of the panel was probably Australia's most esteemed journalist, a gentleman by the name of Tony Jones. He is quite literally the person that interviews or has interviewed over the years, prime ministers mm -hmm. and, um, and everyone in between. Um, uh, I'm not sure what the American equivalent would be, you know, um, uh, or the UK or worldwide, but what that, that esteemed person who's sure, above sure. reproach. And I just started at the mining house Rio Tinto. I'd been at Rio Tinto as the head of internal audit, the global head of internal audit, for no more than I'd say three months. Now I've got to give context to what's just about to happen. Just before I started, our head of marketing at Iron Ore, so our biggest area um, in China, was arrested for stealing state secrets. And that supposedly, I've got to put the word supposedly in there because yeah. it was done in, in, in privacy. Uh, the, trial was done in, in secret. And, and that was a huge story because the, the person ended up, firstly, a huge story for Rio Tinto, but the person ended up at the pleasure of the governors of a pretty dark and dingy Shanghai jail for 10 years. Sure. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm, that, that's in the media. Everyone was talking about it at the time. And Tony Jones was the gentleman's name that did the interviewing and uh, did the panel hosting. And Tony uh, turned to everyone else and I can still remember them all getting really easy questions and I'm, <laughs> and I'm sitting there in my standard uniform of, of black you know black suit nice tie white shirt thinking uh, I was probably a bit cocky to be honest um, yeah yeah and you're sitting up on that stage where you're a little bit elevated from it all and um and I'm sitting there and I'm, I, I can tell you I'm literally at the end of the end of the row and I suspect that might have been deliberate on his behalf um to build it up Anyway, he gets to me and says, Tom, thanks. Hi, Tony. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> Rocking of the head. How are you going? And he said, Tom, what would you do? And there was this pregnant pause. And yeah, I'm still probably half thinking I'm the world's best. What would you do in the event that you discovered that the, the, uh, the head of marketing, so a deliberate reference to what had happened, mm -hmm. and the chief uh, executive officer of Rio Tinto were um, manipulating the results to make their department and the organization look good. 
that was, the, I'm paraphrased it a little bit, but that was essentially the essence of the question. And I remember thinking, oh my God, <laughs> I've just been asked that question in front of 200 people two months into my job. Right. And because you're sitting up on the platform, every single person staring at, at you. And I had this moment where I'd had to decide whether I was going to be flippant or not. And you know how you can always do the, sure. oh, Tony, that would never happen type yeah, response. Yeah. And I, I can remember seeing a person, um, the, the guy, if he's listening to this now, is a guy I worked with at, at, at Optus, Sushil Ramraka was sitting in the audience and Sushil looked at me as if to say, and we had a full conversation in the blink of an eye. And for some reason, I looked at Sushil and Sushil looked back at me and as if to say, don't be silly with this response is what he was sort of like saying to me, even though he wasn't sure. um, saying anything. And so I said, wow, okay, great question. And um, I proceeded to say, look, um, my reputation is more important than the reputation of Rio Tinto. And if there is that line, um, then you, a good auditor, a good chief auditor always has to have their resignation in their top pocket because um, you, once you lose your reputation and your integrity, um, what are you as an auditor? I left it at that. You know, so that was probably about the extent of what I actually said in response. And there was this deathly quiet and Sushil looked down and I thought, oh my God, I've been here for two months and I've stuffed up. And slowly there was a, and the whole people, everyone started clapping really, really loudly. And Tony Jones turned to me and said, wow, what a response. And it was not the quality of my response. You know, I'd like to think that any auditor could have otherwise responded that way. But it was really interesting because I had to, I had to confront an ethical issue. Uh, albeit a hypothetical issue. And I was really conscious about representing myself well, representing the profession well, and representing um, Rio Tinto well. But ultimately, it did come down to the very heart. Now, um, as I mentioned in the, in the WhatsApp chat, I never saw that line at Rio Tinto. Never, never even claimed, came close to it. But my next role that I went to, I saw it, to be honest, probably within three hours on the first day. It took me about 10 weeks to really refine it. And it remains one of my most proud um, career achievements is that I saw, decided not to cross it. Um, and it's really gets them sitting up straight. So look, I think the, the moral story is that we, the, the, the profession of internal audit sometimes is the practice of ethics yeah. and ethical judgment. And um, sometimes people will go through their whole career. A, a boss said to me that they'd never seen the line in their whole career. They'd never even come close to it. And this person I respect enormously. Um, others said, oh, I see the line every single day. Now, in that instance, it's probably a lot their assessment of the line, yeah. which is the problem or the organisation. But I, to this day, and that's now going back uh, 12, 13 years, um, to this day, if there was someone in that room that day, to me and have a chat to me about that response and it always catches me off guard because for me it was a split second um response but it probably exposed to to the audience to the panel uh, to the panel to the interviewer but most importantly to myself it exposed what i actually want to be as an auditor is a person of, of integrity yeah i think it's a great line and a great i mean the the physicalness, I guess, of thinking about a resignation letter in your pocket, you know, uh, and, and almost knowing that, yep, look, I can pull that out at any point, um, if needed. 
because it's not like you said it's your reputation and it's not the organization's reputation is is important and that for some reason there's just something about the like i had this physical resignation in my pocket that i like I, i'll hand it over you know there's no problem i have no problem handing that over um and i think that's whatever about it that made it just kind of stick with me um it's a fantastic story Hey, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Yeah, look, um, and obviously I don't walk around with a resignation in my yeah. top pocket. Right, right. <laughs> Metaphorically, it sits there. Um, but I think that knowing uh, that you could execute it, knowing that you have the support of your peers. You know, one of the most important things that day wasn't as in, as good it was for my ego to hear Tony Jones say, what a great response. The actual more important thing is my peers actually, you know, commenting on it and speaking to me about it. That was the moment that actually hit a chord. Um, now, I could have scripted that for years in advance and wouldn't have got as good response, <laughs> but it's the, it is that metaphorical resignation in your top pocket. And it's more importantly than, than just the threat. It's the criteria. You know, what is the criteria that you as an auditor say this company is, is not worthy of my time or my reputation yeah. to be uh, delivered to it? About this as well is the, gap between the profession of internal audit and the practice of internal audit and that which is represented by the Institute of Internal Audit. Now, I've got to start with a number of very strong caveats is that um, I'm a former board member of the Institute of Internal Audits here in Australia. Uh, a number of my close friends and colleagues uh, on the global board um, and I respect enormously not only their work, but the work that the IAA actually does and continues to do. I have enormous amount of time um, for Richard, what Richard did over the 10 years or so. Richard, to his credit, allowed quite robust discussions and he would be the first to attest that he and I had a number of good discussions over the years. Um, but my challenge isn't to the, the organisation itself, it's more to the need for a global professional association and its affiliates there too. You know, I've often said to people that the medical engineering uh, legal um, fraternities do not have a global professional association. So why do we need it as such? And often I'm, it's said back to me is that, you know, well, we need it for the development of standards. And I'm, I don't see that as the strongest reason. I don't have a problem with uh, the IAA doing that. Um, but more so, I think that you know some of these standards need to be country specific and perhaps that's driving the lack of respect for some of the standards because there's one size fits all. There is a interesting um, outside of America, outside of um, the United States specifically, push it that occasionally the IAA can be too North American and United States centric. And the best way that is actually represented to the world is that how often that the international conference is based in the United States vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And I think it's every, it was at one stage every second year. It may have changed in recent times. Um, and I'm not suggesting that, uh, that the United States shouldn't be well represented, but it does give that perspective that this is the United States Institute of Internal Audit mm. um, that is being rolled out globally rather than a, a true global fu uh, function, a true global association. But I think you know, the more interesting thing is not so much about the IAA, it's how does the uh, internal audit profession actually capture the um, uh, the changing nature of business in different jurisdictions. If you, and I'm going to call out two, being India and China. India in the next 20 years is going to be the largest country by population in the world, and it's democracy. And so it's a country that is used to checks and balances. So is internal audit um, the way that we're doing it now suitable for India as it grows? So that's one question I'd have, and that's a gap that I've never really seen explored. And I think the other gap that I've never really seen explored is what we're seeing, um, especially in this region, but globally, is the impact of China. So I referenced, and this is said with great respect to China, um, I referenced that it, that India is a democracy. Well, obviously, there is a different uh, governmental structure in China. Now, how does internal audit operate in that different governmental structure or societal structure? Is it as a tolerant? to internal audit as it should or could be or not. And it may be, I don't know what the answers to these are. And until these answers, the questions are answered, properly answered, I'm not sure that the professional association globally is actually living out the full uh, potential of its being. Because these are the hard questions that we really, really need to be asking ourselves because I'd hate in 15 years time to, for us to go the way of bookkeepers yeah, I'm sure that at one stage in the 1970s, there was a pretty profound and strong Bookkeepers Association of the United States or Bookkeepers Association of Australia or the UK um, that thought that their life was pretty much you know, set, that this is the way it's going to be. Well, welcome to the world of computers. Mm -hmm. My challenge would be welcome to the world of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence is the greatest threat to internal audit going forward because as, you know, when triggers are, uh, are flicked, then we as, an we as uh, auditors what role do we actually play? And I guess that's the gap that I've often talked about is not a criticism. I don't see it as a criticism. Hopefully it's not seen as a criticism at the IAA, but what I see it is, is are we actually debating the right things? I, I saw, um, it's a wonderful, and I kept it, I'd ha I have to go and find it. I, a letter to the editor to, to the London Times about four years ago. And it was a commentary by this reader on the opinion pages of the, um, uh, uh, the London Times. And the person wrote, dear sir, I completely disagreed with everything that was in your opinion pages. Please, please keep up the good work. Nice. And I thought that was a really nice way of saying that I'm actually wanting to be challenged. I want to be exposed to different opinions. And it's that sameness that I, I, it would be my challenge to the IA is that if you drop me into a, a IA international conference at the moment, I'm not sure that I could distinguish it from one from 15 years ago. Mm. Um, and indeed, I would be, if I was ever asked, and I'm probably not going to be after this spiel now, if I was ever asked to speak at an IA conference, I'd actually try and chart visually, but also narratively, the development of the agendas over time. And I would be really surprised if it didn't show a sameness of yeah. debate. Um, and that, that is uh, the death knell to any profession is that you're not prepared to explore uh, issues. So that's the gap between the, the IA and the profession, you know, and you know, what that, just going back to the WhatsApp group, 
what that's reminding me is that there is some extraordinary talents globally. You know, there was a person from the Ivory Coast that asked a really fascinating question. Um, uh, and so it's in that environment uh, that I would just really, really call out the importance of people doing um, the right thing for the profession, not just for an association. You know, do, do, does a good auditor need to be a certified internal auditor? I'm not 100% sure that they do, do need to be. Um, and so that then puts paid to a lot of issues. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a, a great perspective. <clears throat> um, we haven't really gotten into a ton of IA versus IA debate um, on the show, at least on, on this one anyway. And so I think that is a definitely wasn't a criticism at, at worst constructive criticism. Um, I certainly haven't looked at it from a global uh, perspective in that sense. And I don't, I don't see how you could argue um, against your kind of your opinions or your thought there. So I think it's, I think it's food for thought for a lot of folks um, that are listening to the show right now. But um, as we Trent, start, can, to I, can, can, can I share with you something about tw uh, 15, 20 years ago, there was a time where the professional service firms weren't overly welcome to any local, regional, or international IAA conferences. Mm. And I could never understand that. And they'd say, well, they all they ever do is come and try and sell to us. And I'd say, yeah, they do. That's exactly what they try and do. But we want those voices in the room. I want the whole variety of voices in the room. I want to walk away from that and say, you know what Trent was saying was really, really interesting. I've got to follow him up. Or alternatively, what Trent was saying was a load of rubbish, and I know I'm <laughs> on the right course. Um, and so, but we, do, we just don't generate those conversations i don't want people yelling at each other I, yeah. I think that's you know it's a waste of time I, I just want constructive you know i want side conversations i want people to break out and have a conversation over here you know i'm, I'm sure you're aware of and um, i've been a long time follower of tim leach in out of canada uh -huh. and i want I, I want the contrarians of the teams of the world i want the norman marks to really challenge me challenge me and then i sit down and say you know what norman i still disagree with you but i'm yeah. you know I uh, defend your right to, to have to say what you say. I love that. That's what we all need to bring the profession forward. So we, we you talked about kind of this gap between the internal audit and IA um, or this constructive criticism. What else do you feel like the profession needs? It's a really interesting question. And if you had asked me this two years ago before COVID, I suspect my answer would have been different to what it's going to be now. But right. it, it, we, we need a worldwide marketplace of internal auditors because the transaction cost of getting that auditor to the issue these days is so much lower. And by that, I mean that you know, I call it the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Bulgarian treasury issue. Only okay. once in my, in my life have I needed someone to provide me treasury audit advice in Bulgaria. Now, um, when I needed that person, I needed them. And I needed someone that really knew about auditing treasury in Bulgaria. And I use this as a, a pretty you know, narrow example right. that we need to, as a profession, start looking at the global um, marketplace of talent. You know, I, uh, my, my, um, my calling card for the want of better description is that I, I, I go into organizations and I transform audit functions. Well, um, there's no reason why I can't do that here as well as in, you know, Johannesburg, as well as it is in uh, in the United States or in right. uh, in Poland or wherever it may be, remotely. But, uh, you know, you probably get ninety percent of it, of it done remotely. So, my, what the profession needs is this mindset that we're now operating in a global marketplace uh, for talent. Um, firstly, it accepts that their talent is everywhere, not just within twenty kilometres of your head office. 
Um, secondly, it, it acknowledges that there are people with very unique skills. And thirdly, it probably, well, not probably, it will increase the value that we add to organisations. And I go back to the Bulgarian uh, treasury situation. I could have ordered that, um, but I'm not sure I would have added near as much value as someone who understood the uh, the contextual environment, the business right. environment, the, business, the legislative yeah. environment, and the regulations uh, much better. And so the profession needs that acceptance. And uh, you know, speaking about the internal Institute of Internal Audit before, I'd actually call upon the Institute of Internal Audit to really give thought as how they can do that, not in a a job board, but a true global marketplace. And then you don't lose people. There are some of the great auditors I've ever worked with in my life uh, who are in their uh, late, mid to late 60s here in Australia um, and the UK um, and a couple in the United States, well, in the United States, I shouldn't have said a couple in the United States, yeah. in the United States as well. Um, why, why you wouldn't use those people just as a talent pool um, even if it was just for a week or a month or a day, um, just beside me, because they will add enormous value. There's one lady in particular, uh, a lady I'm extraordinarily fond of, who I worked with in the mid-1990s at Entergy. And if I can give a call out to her, Jill Israel, Jill was magnificent, absolutely magnificent at what she did. And she's now retired, but if she was so inclined to do so, um, she is a subject matter expert on assurance and finance in major energy companies. <clears throat> And every country around the world has a major energy company. Why wouldn't they use the jewels of the world? Right. Yeah. Well, you talk about you're kind of brought in to transform audit departments. You certainly are, I would say, a transformationally minded audit leader. There's been a lot of, I mean, look, we're on episode 100 something, 20, 20 something. Um, and there's just been multiple stories that you've told, uh, opinions that you've given that I'm probably going to have to I definitely I'm going to have to get take more than the, you know, the 45 minutes uh, of this episode to think through. So I did want to I definitely want to give you a chance. I know I had some questions that I was interested in knowing your opinion on, but um, what else would you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, look, it's a little bit of a variation on what we were just talking about before, which is what the profession needs is that um, I'm a great fan of the value that LinkedIn brings to me as an auditor. And I'll break that down into three parts, if I may. Firstly, it's just the ability to see what people are talking about and sometimes how silly what people are talking about, yeah. but that's okay. The second one is that the communities of interest that exist there and through there, uh, that's where the WhatsApp group comes about. The thirdly is this whole concept of reaching out and understanding who it is in the world. So I always finish every presentation that I give by saying, if you've thought that I've added any value to your life or your understanding of internal audit, send me a LinkedIn request. Why? Because um, then at some stage in the future, I may be the person that you reach out to or vice versa that you may, I may reach out to you. But if I don't know you, don't, that you don't exist, then I can never really live out my full potential um, as an auditor. I can never really start thinking, yeah, look, I could go for the person that lives 20 kilometres from head office, but now I'm going to go for the person that lives 100 and I'm going to cut them some slack because they are seriously good at what they do. So my challenge to anyone that's listening to this today, Trenton, or in the future is that um, really, really consider how your network actually um, develops and how your network actually adds value to you. Um, and if I can tell you one final story, if I may, um, 
many years ago, I, uh, I was in a low point in a particular career. I wasn't doing particular, in my career. I wasn't particularly doing much one day. And I read an article about how you should reach out to people. I went and um, spoke to a guy who went on to be quite senior in the Australian business community. And he told me the history about mentoring. And he said to me that you needed to find someone that knew you from your start of your career. And he told me that his um, mentor was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of New South Wales. So the second highest court in New South Wales, the biggest state in Australia. And I, I laughed and, um, and he said to me, what you're mistaking is that this person was my boss when I started as a law clerk many, many years ago. So I go and find a person, his, his name was Michael Andrew and Michael was the, um, uh, at the time, uh, just the managing partner of KPMG in Melbourne. He went on to be the managing partner, the global chairman of KPMG about 10 years ago. Um, he's now passed on, rest his soul. And Michael, I sat down with Michael and I said to him, and Michael, start, I start, the very first day I started in the late 1980s, Michael had just been made a partner about two, three weeks beforehand. And I said to Michael, what do you remember about um, my career? You know, what do you remember about my time at KPMG? And keep in mind, I was in tax at KPMG. Okay. Um, not audit. And Michael looked at me and Michael had a stare that could freeze the room, but he was the most <laughs> brilliant and wonderfully warm and empathetic person. The one of the great people that I knew. And Michael looked at me and said, Tom, you weren't very good at tax. And, <laughs> and, and, and I can remember, and I remember laughing because I knew I was hopeless. I was hopeless at tax. If it wasn't in the pamphlet, um, about that issue, uh -huh. I couldn't tell you, I, I couldn't research it to save myself on tax front. And it stopped and he said, but, and I thought, oh, bloody hell, he's just you know, had uh -huh. a go at me about how bad I was with tax. He said, but you're the best networker KPMG Melbourne has ever seen. And I stopped. No one had ever said that to me before, ever mm. in my life. And I was just blown away. He just opened up this window. Now, I don't consider myself a great networker at all. And definitely, I don't do it to the betterment of my financial uh, you know, well-being, more so just my personal interests. And, um, but what it opened up was this permission to me from someone who I respected enormously to reach out to people that could help me and I could help them. And that's, I think, the thing that I'd leave with everyone today is to take the time to, to, to be that person to someone and, and reach out to someone. The most fascinating postscript to it all is that Michael, as I said, goes on to be the global chairman of, of KPMG and, um, we were meant to have a coffee at lunch, actually, in Hong Kong when I was coming through Hong Kong when I was with Rio, um, but for whatever reason, it didn't come off. So we decided we were going to have a virtual coffee. This is eight or nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And we went into the, each other's video conference rooms, me in Melbourne, him in Hong Kong. And I'd kept in contact with Michael and every couple of years, he'd give me some you know, really great, some highly confidential, but really great advice. And um, Michael relayed that story to me near word perfect <laughs> and I walked out both on a cloud and with tears rolling out of my eyes because finding that person finding that mentor is the person that you need to make your career a success and find that person in in audit um, is just priceless so if, 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 if people listening today take one thing away from it is use your connections to find that person who's not is going to get you the better job indeed the mentor should never go for the same job as you, should never be in competition, but can make you a better person and a better auditor. So hopefully that helps. 
Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.